This is a sutra that we've been talking on, and we have finished the first four lines. Uh, Avalokitesvara Bodhisattva, when practicing the profound prajna paramita, perceived that the five scanters are empty, and thereby became free from all suffering, because we have been attaching to the five scanters. That's the reason why we have gone through all this suffering. For those who are here for the first time, you probably don't know what the five scanters are. Uh, the five scanters is you, is me. Every individual, every being, every sentient being is nothing but the five scanters, which is a combination of the body and the mind. Who am I? In studying the Buddhist teaching, it's very important to know who am I? Where did I come from? Why was I born? And where would I go after I died? So the Buddhist teaching is not about just about a faith that you believe in. It's about yourself. It's about how to lead a happy life, uh, not just for yourself, for all individuals surrounding you, relative to you, and um, not just about the present life. It's about how to deal with death and deal with the life thereafter if you haven't gone into nirvana. And what is nirvana? Of course, you have to, you have to know more about it. The five scanters is worth repeating. Who am I? Who are you? If somebody asks you spiritually, who am I? We are nothing but the body, number one, rupa in the Sanskrit language, and the mind. The mind is two, three, four, and five. Vedanta, Zamjna, Samskara, Mujnana. Don't worry about this, what seems to be some profound terminology. They are Sanskrit, and they are nothing but, in the common English language, your sensations, your feelings, your six sense organs, your ears, your eyes, your nose, your tongue, your body and mind in contact with the form, sound, smell, taste, touch, and objects of mind. That means your interaction with the outside world through your senses. The third one is Zamjna, which is after you have perceptions, you have conceptualization. You conceptualize everything. And then you think about everything. You flash back, you have your intention, you create analysis. You create discrimination in your mind, and all the mentality system, which is your consciousness, what happened to it, where does it store, and how did it get into this life, or previous life, or next life, all this is about your mentality, your spirituality. A person is nothing but body and mind. We've been attaching to the body and mind. So these are the five scanters, and we already have analyzed it for weeks. I'm just giving you a brief review on what we've been talking about for weeks on every one of this title, every one of this meaning. Last time we said, what is emptiness? We say, something is empty, don't attach to it, let it go, uh, don't let it affect you, it's empty anyway. In the Buddhist terminology, emptiness is sunyata. Uh, in the Chinese language, it's translated as kong. On the beam of a monastery, it's always said, you're entering into an empty door. So why is it always called empty? And what is the concept of emptiness? That's the concept in the Sanskrit language of sunyata, and we've been talking that 
Everything in the world is no inherent existence of everything. Everything is relative. When we talk about everything is relative, what do we mean? Some people just say relative. I'm rich, you're poor, so we're relative. I'm tall, you're short. Uh, I like him. I don't like you. I hate you. I I love you. That's relative. That's not the meaning, the true meaning of relative. And we're not talking about the meaning attached to scientific discovery of relativity too. We're talking about what is relative. Relative is, according to the Buddhist teaching, everything is dependent on other things. None has its inherent existence without depending on other conditions. In other words, we exist because of conditions. Without cause, there's no effect. So we, we sometimes talk about it in terms of causality. So we always say everything is causative, and there's almost no disagreement on this point because how can anything come out without a reason? You know, there must be. The fact that you're here is with a reason. Everything has a reason. Everything has a cause. And and it, when it comes to an effect, an effect may be a cause for another effect. So uh, the cause is the effect. The effect is the cause. And just for beginners who haven't been here for a long time, who just come for the first time, yes, that's a very high-sounding. Philosophy. How does it teach me? They're always talking about how does it benefit me. Me, always talking about me. How does it benefit me? How does it benefit me?、Uh, knowing causality. You know how does it benefit you? Just looking from the perspective on the temporal basis. If you know every effect has a cause, you must be very careful with every thought. A positive cause will breed a positive effect. A negative. Cause would have negative effect. You always sink into inferiority complex all the time. Involved in that thought, you will habituate yourself by thinking that way, and it will lead to what fatal consequences of you name it. So always be very mindful of your thought. If you want to be successful, you have to cultivate successful causes. So causation. Remember, emptiness means. Relative causation condition, and all things are non-self. That means you don't have an inherent existence. When I say you don't have an inherent existence, is you exist not because you have an inherent right or an inherent nature of existing by yourself. You're dependent on many things. You're depending on your parents coming together for your production. You're depending on. On your health to keep you going, you, you, it's dependent on many things, and and none of that thing has an inherent existence. We call it asvabhava in the Sanskrit language as a non-self. But we always think in a different way. We always think that this is me, I. Because of this, you position yourself in the egoistic I. Then you position others. In a non-I way, and you bring in all this frustration and conflict and torturing yourself by always have to face this I, not I. Benefit me, not benefit you. How does it benefit me? Everything is I, you, me, they, him. It tortures your thinking with conflict and and frustration because you're always working towards that conflict of I and me and. And ego and you and all that. You have to know 
Nothing has an inherent existence, non-self, and all things are impermanent. Because of causality, conditions come together, it exists. Conditions don't come together or disintegrate, it doesn't exist. Everything changes. Nothing stays the same. A Greek philosopher, Heraclitus, an ancient philosopher, said, you could not step in the same river twice. In other words, you're stepping on that river, you take your foot up, and you step another time on the same river. It's not the same river anymore. It's flowing, flowing, changing, and changing. Nothing stays, but in our mind, we always think everything stays. Because that is a fictitious phenomena telling you or confirming yourself in your mistaken belief that everything stays. Because you believe in everything stays, it creates a lot of torturing for you, a lot of conflict for you, a lot of frustration for you. I always give the example, if somebody scolded you with dirty words, ugly words, those, those words already disappear in the air. But it still stays in your ears, stays in your heart, stays in your mind, and you agonize on it. And you want to revenge, you want to do everything you want to get back, quote-unquote, egoistic self-respect. Because you believe in that sentence to stay all the time. But that sentence is gone, non-staying, nothing, nothing stays. Next, because of impermanence, the individual experiences suffering. We experience suffering because in this world, nothing is permanent, everything is changing, but we don't recognize it, of course. We have to learn to recognize it, though. Why are we meditating? Because when we're faced with the reality, we're being led away. We're being led away by all these environmental uh, outside objects that we think it is permanent. We may think when we believe in a philosophy, but then every act you do, every thought, is acting on the basis of looking for staying, looking for permanence, looking for inherent existence, looking for self-benevolence. So, we're meditating. One of the many reasons why we're meditating is we're training our mind to think in those terms. Learn to focus on these terms. Don't be led away by objects. Don't be led away by outer surroundings. Don't be led away by words of scolding. Don't be led away by quote-unquote beautiful things that arouse your sensuous feelings. Don't be led away by pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, anger, hatred, jealousy, disappointment, depression, inferiority complex, superiority complex, because you're being led away to think in your habitual thinking. You don't know these things. You know them when I'm talking. You know them when you're reading. You know them when you, when you take a course of philosophy. But when you act, when you speak, you're not reacting with that kind of understanding in your mind. It happens not just to you, to me, to everybody. That's why we are always faced with frustrations and suffering. And when we deal with causation, we're always dealing with uh, not just the horizontal dimensions, which is things. Things we see, things we hear, things we touch, not just horizontally, with space. We're also dealing with vertically, with time. When we're dealing with time, we're dealing with the past, the present, and the future. We always attach to the past, worry about the future, and attach to the present. And even that is causality. Nothing stays. Your past is gone, 
not, not anymore. Your future hasn't come. Your present takes in every second that's passed. As Heraclitus said, your footstep into the same stream, when you take it out and do another step, it's not the same anymore. So, cause and effect is the law of causation. If there's a cause, there must be an effect and vice versa. All dharmas or everything, all dharmas and everything, arise, abide, change and cease according to the law of cause and effect. Each cause and conditions has three moral qualities, goodness, evil and neutral. And unfortunately, we're always breeding evil thoughts, evil feelings. And you don't know about it. We don't know about it. All phenomena arise because of the mutual relationship of countless causes in the Sanskrit language we call hate to and conditions in the Sanskrit language we call it pratyaya. When we talk about causes, causes are direct and conditions are indirect. In between cause and in effect, there are conditions. Some conditions are maturing, some conditions are paving their way for maturity. So whether a cause would be successful come out as an effect depends on the conditions. And if they are good causes, you got to cultivate good maturity for conditions. You know how some people become successful? Because they have this cause and they want to cultivate all kinds of conditions to speed up, to expedite it into an effect. So if you, if you have the cause, if you have a determined mind that you want to get an A plus in examination, you already have that determination. That's the direct cause in you. But you still have to study hard. You still have to read your textbook. You still have to do your, attend your lecturings. You still have to make a lot of work. You still have to create a studying environment. And those are the conditions. You have to cultivate those conditions. For failure people, they don't cultivate those conditions. They just have that determination, but they never work towards it. They never, they never open up conditions. They never plow the land. They never fertilize the land. How can they have any fruits? So you really have to build up all these maturing conditions. And if they're not mature, working your conditions towards maturity until you have that effect. So in the true Buddhist mind, there's nothing that you cannot do. Whatever the mind can conceive, the mind can do. The mind can carry out positive thinking. You can always improved. You can always become better and better and better. It's just you're, you yourself give hindrances to your maturity of the conditions. Every sentient being can become the Buddha. The Buddha said the millions of Buddhas already. In the future there will be millions of Buddhas too. You have that Buddha nature in you. You have that pearl in you that has been covered up by dust and dirt. This a dozen dirt, your mental afflictions, your jealousy, your hatred, your karmic energies all cover your internally brilliant pearl. And when you eradicate all this dust and dirt, clean it year after year, life after life, one day it's all shining. It all comes out. And that's why there was a monk who attained enlightenment. He uttered a poem. He said, I have a pearl inside of me. It has been covered up by dust and dirt for millions of years. Now it's all revealed. The brightness is one brightness. No more dust and dirt. I've gotten into Nirvana. I've become the Buddha.
So you become the Buddha. You have that ability, but you don't recognize it. Even if you recognize it, you're not working towards it. You still hang on to fame, reputation, jealousy, hatred, ego, and sometimes we always think, "Oh, those who have high knowledge, PhD, who those who can think very properly, those who can think very philosophically, would they become the Buddha?" Knowledge is acquired. Wisdom is from the eradication of the dust and dirt. So, in other words, scientists. May not have any wisdom at all. He may have created a, a, an atomic bomb just to kill his enemies. And for people who can collect in some country, can collect all the dirty oil together, industrial oil together, and refine it into domestic use oil, they must be highly efficient and knowledgeable in chemistry. But what did they create? They create oil. That is refined from industrial oil, throwaway oil, and refined in domestic oil, and they make billions and billions of dollars out of it. They must be highly intelligent, but they have no wisdom. They are killing the health of all sentient beings. And how about people who who manufacture powder for the babies? They kill the babies. Those people have a, a lot of High level chemistry level to do something like that. Hitler has very high knowledge in regimentation, in maintaining armies, in speaking, in presentation, in writing. But how many how many Jews he kill? Six million Jews. Not to say all the others non-Jews. He didn't have wisdom. He had the knowledge, but he didn't have wisdom. So don't think about oh I'm, I'm just a high school kid I'm I'm just a high school, but you can still work towards the perfect wisdom. That's what we call prajna, prajna. When we're talking about suffering, because when we know the five skandhas, when we work on our five skandhas, our body and mind, and we come to a nirvana level, what's the effect of it? The effect of it will be away from suffering. What kind of sufferings we have? A lot of people are living in suffering, and they don't even realize they are suffering, because they only react with emotions to the suffering. When they suffer, they just cry, they just become mad, they just become disgruntled. They blame the whole world for their suffering. They blame their mom and dad. They blame the family, the teachers. They don't blame themselves. They don't realize suffering. The Buddhist philosophy, the Buddhist teaching says, the first lesson is to realize what kind of suffering sentient beings go through, and these are some macro level of analysis. In other words, there are a lot of minute sufferings that we haven't talked about. These are the broad categories of suffering: birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, death is suffering. How about separated from things, persons that one loves? Your granddad, your grandparents passed away, and you're grief-stricken. Separation from things and persons that you love, you cling to, you attach to, is a kind of suffering. To live with hated ones is just the opposite. Insatiable desire—you always have unfulfilled wish in your mind. 
you have all the money that you want, you don't have good health, and you are always want to looking for help, and you don't have it. You have health, you don't have money. You're always poor, so you always have insatiable desire that you cannot fulfill, and that's torturing yourself because you can't let go of that. Last but not least, suffering due to the five scanters. This is a broad categories. You have a body, you have suffering. You have this thought that hinders you from going into enlightenment. That is suffering. We haven't even mentioned this is just to an individual suffering internally. We haven't really mentioned other sufferings too. Suffering arising from wars, suffering arising from starvation. Too many sufferings. Sometimes, if you really want to be more philosophical, sit down and write for yourself a list of human sufferings. We haven't even mentioned other suffering, sufferings of the animals, and how animals suffer because of you, because of your killing, your slaughtering. All other sentient beings are suffering too. We're always talking about homicide, but how about killing animals, slaughtering animals? Killing animals for their skin, for their bones, for their leather, for hair. That's why we're involved with karmic energy that is so bad that we will go through all kinds of natural disasters, sufferings.